Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, go to John 14, 6. Or John 14. We're going we're to read verses 1 through 7. We're going to focus almost exclusively on verse 6 this morning. As we are uh, we're getting close to the end of this I Am series. I think we have three more uh, messages after this morning as we're just walking through the Gospel of John and these, and these I Am statements of Jesus, learning something about who He is and, and what He's done and what He's doing uh, in us and through us and for us. So um, this morning we come to what's probably one of the most well-known uh, I Am statements. And it's just simply, I Am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, now you think that that's pretty, pretty simple and straightforward, right? But you start, you start talking about that to a culture that believes that uh, all roads lead to God, or all religions really uh, teach the same thing, and you're going to run into some uh, controversy. You're going to run, you're going to probably make some folks mad. And so, what do we do with that? Well, we resign ourselves to the fact that we're going to make some people mad, <laughs> and and we we proclaim the truth. Anyway, and so if you will, turn with me to John 14, and let's stand as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you just for the opportunity to gather together and open up your word. I pray as we look at this statement from, from Jesus that most of us have heard many times throughout our lives. That today you would give us fresh eyes to see and fresh ears to hear. And we'd walk away with a new appreciation for, for what it means when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And how we can live lives that reflect that truth. So we pray you'll speak through your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, you can have a seat. Thank you. Now, the, the three points this morning, if you're following along uh, either on the, the Bible app or if you're, if you're uh, filling out the outline in the bulletin, they're going to blow your mind, okay? They're, they're so deep um, that, that, that you might not be able to make no. Um, if, if, you, if you listen when we read John 14, 6, you're probably going to be able to already fill, fill out where we're, where we're going here. Uh, because the first one is simply this. Jesus is the only way to God. All right? He says this here, John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, like I said, this is pretty self-explanatory. And, and yet, in our culture, in this day and age of religious pluralism, where folks want to say all religions basically teach the same thing. All roads lead to God, and as long as you're mostly a good person, you'll probably, if there's a heaven, you'll, you'll wind up there. Um, so in a culture that believes that, this needs to be 
restated and re-emphasized again and again. That Jesus stepped in and he, he made exclusive claims about himself. As, and as we'll see at the very end today, that, that forces us then to make a decision about Jesus. We can't just kind of, you can't just be kind of ho-hum about him. We, we, we're faced with a decision about him. Now, ironically, okay, in a culture that claims to value uh, tolerance and inclusiveness, when you start talking about the exclusiveness of Jesus, that, that's not tolerated very well. Okay? Uh, uh, so, so, so a tolerant culture, when you start saying, listen, um, I believe, I understand what you're saying, and, and I respect your beliefs, I just think you're wrong. You're not going to be received very well. I, I believe that Jesus said, uh, if, remember Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Okay? And so when we start following the teachings of Jesus, then don't be surprised when we get the same reaction that Jesus ultimately got. Which was not one, uh, by the culture at large, of acceptance and, and understanding. The, they, they liked him as long as he was doing cool magic tricks and impressing them or giving them free meals. But as soon as he started making these kind of claims about him, we're told that large numbers of people stopped following him. Um, and yet, right, we have to do something with this. So, so anyone who wants to simply claim Jesus is a good moral teacher and, you know, we think that all roads lead to heaven and, and Jesus is, you know, he's, he's a good teacher. We can listen to some of the stuff he says. Like, like in, in this instance, we're faced with this fact that Jesus said, I am the way. He did not say, I am a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So, so listen, when I look at that, I take that to mean that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Okay? See how I read between the lines there? I went, that's going deep into the text now. <laughs> in fact, this is what Peter says in, in Acts chapter 4. As, as Peter's preaching, he says, he puts it this way. He says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Uh so, so in fact, despite what our culture says, there are not many ways to God, but only one. And the Bible makes very clear. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Hinduism. It is Jesus Christ alone. And, and listen to me. This is the truth on which the rest of Christianity hangs. If Jesus is not the only way to God, everything else falls apart. Now, I've heard some say, well, even if it's not true, Christianity is still a decent way to live. It's still a decent thing to follow, even, with, even if we're wrong. In other words, if we're wrong, even if, even if Christianity is wrong, I really have nothing to lose by, by following Christ. And, and here's, here's the problem with that, that Paul will later say that that line of thinking is completely wrong. In fact, this is the way he puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. We've put our, in other words, if Jesus didn't, if he's not the only way to God, if he didn't rise from the dead, if that doesn't give us hope that, that life in him extends beyond the physical end of this life, then Paul says we're the biggest fools who've ever lived. And we may as well go hang out at a sports bar instead of being in church. 
Have y'all been to Buffalo Wild Wings yet? They got some pretty good stuff there. And I, but but I'm, I'm just crazy enough to say that what Jesus offers is better. Now, I love me some wings. What Jesus offers is better. It's better. So then how important is it that Jesus is the only way to God? It's fundamentally important. And without that truth, everything else falls apart. And so, so listen, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. Maybe, maybe you've been in church your whole life. Uh, maybe today's your first time to ever walk through the doors. I, I don't know. But all of us have to wrestle with this question. Is Jesus who he said he is? And, and if he is, am I going to believe it? See, see you, you deciding whether or not you're going to believe it doesn't change who Jesus is. But, but we're all faced with those two questions. Is he who he said he is? And, and if so, am I going to live like it? Am, do I believe that he's the only way? Do I believe that if my neighbors and my coworkers and my classmates are not followers of Christ, that they have not come to the Father and are therefore separated from Him. We'll talk more about that in a minute. All right, so, so that's the first thing that Jesus declares here, that He is the only way to God. Secondly, He says that He's the truth. And, and so what we learn here is that Jesus is the ultimate truth about God. Now, truth, again, is a buzzword in our culture, or it's a, um, it's a trigger word, I should say. Because as soon as you start talking about truth, someone else is going to say, well, well, that may be your truth, but it's not my truth. Which it is, let me think of a nice way to put it. That's dumb, right? That's dumb. Despite whatever common core might try to teach, two plus two is always four. Always. Always. Truth is truth. That means then that we need to be people who are concerned with truth. And, you know, especially in the past six, eight months or so, truth has kind of become a bigger deal in our culture, right? So, so we live in a world that, that has not valued absolute truth for a long time, but suddenly loses its ever-loving mind over the concept of fake news, right? Now just think about that for a second. So for years in, in this postmodern era, we've heard, well, you know, all truth is subjective. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And then all of a sudden people are screaming, but that's fake news. Really? And, and there's no, that folks don't seem to recognize the tension. Listen, we need to be people who are concerned with truth. And when it comes to the truth about God, we have no clearer picture about who God is than in the person of Jesus Christ. And so listen, when I say Jesus is the ultimate truth about God, here, here's what I mean. We know that in the Old Testament, we, we see shades of who God is. And then Jesus comes along. And what we're going to see in just a moment, the writer of Hebrews said he's the ultimate picture of who Jesus is, or of who God is, okay? So, so uh, John 1, 17, when John's kind of starting off his gospel, this, this prologue, this introduction to his gospel, one of the things he said is this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in other words, what he's saying is, is through Moses, the law came, and that was, that was kind of the clearest picture that the people had of, of how to live in a way that was pleasing to God was the law. And quickly they learned that they were incapable of keeping the law perfectly. They were incapable of living in a way that was pleasing to God. 
And so then Christ comes in. He says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we have the answer to the problem that the law created. All the law could do was reveal sin. Christ came in with a way to forgive and cleanse sin. And then Hebrews, this is what I was alluding to all ago. But we talked about how, how we kind of see shades of, of who God is throughout the Old Testament. This is, what, this is how the writer of Hebrews begins that letter. It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And I love this because another way to translate that is bits and pieces. At different times and different ways, it can also be translated bits and pieces. So, so in other words, God spoke a little bit here. And showed a piece of himself here and another piece here. And then in Christ Jesus, he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So he's saying what, what the prophets got in the Old Testament and, and Moses and, and, and the leaders in the Old Testament, what they got in bits and pieces, Christ reveals in full. And we have the ultimate picture of who God is. And, and so, listen, I, I hope, if, if you haven't already come to this realization, this will change the way you read the Bible. Because suddenly then, when, when you're reading through Leviticus, and, and you get done with your chapter, and then you're like, what, what did I just read? You go back and, and read about the sacrificial system. Man, what does this tell us about Christ? See, in, in Leviticus, we see that we see the costliness of sin. We see that sin created a physical uh, barrier for people, where they had to they, they had to go to the temple and they had to offer a sacrifice. Sin was serious business in Leviticus. And in Christ Jesus, we see just how serious God takes sin. That he would send his only son to cover your sin and my sin. In Judges, which is wild reading, by the way, all these people that God raises up. And, and you see the, uh, the, the sin cycle in the nation of Israel where they'll, man, th things are just, things are crazy. People are out of control, so God raises up a judge and he kind of whips everybody back into shape for a little while and then he dies. And then things go to chaos again until God raises up a judge who kind of brings everything back together. We, we, see this, we see this pattern. We see that Christ comes in to be the better judge who will set everything straight once for all. Changes the way we read the Bible because the entire Bible from Genesis 1-1, as, as the writer of Hebrews just said, uh, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. So that means Genesis 1-1, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The writer of Hebrews just told us that was Jesus who was making the universe. So he's there in Genesis 1-1. He's there in Genesis 3-15, when the promise is given that uh, the serpent's head will one day be crushed. And from then on, we see history moving to not just Christmas, but it's moving to the cross and the empty tomb. And then the rest of the Bible, the, the, the letters in the New Testament are all looking back at what Jesus did and saying, 
This is how we live in light of who Christ is and what he's done. Christ is the central theme of this book. And when we understand that, when we understand that, that this book is telling us a truth about who God is through the person of Jesus Christ, it will change the way you, under, you understand Scripture. There is no clearer picture of who God is. And, and I would say this also. So Jesus is the ultimate truth about God. Any statement, any belief system about God that doesn't have not just Christ factored in. So, so for instance, in Islam, Christ is a prophet. But he's not the ultimate prophet. Any any religious system that would claim to have truth about God that is not centered on the person of Jesus Christ is not truth. The end. It's not truth. And here's the last thing that, that I want us to focus on this morning. So, so we've said that Jesus is the only way to God, that he's the ultimate truth about God. Finally, the, the thing that we can rest in this morning is that Jesus alone provides real life. Now, now again, a common, common response today, when you start bringing up Jesus, you're, you're going to create some tension in those discussions. Or you're going to find out really quickly that a lot of folks have a lot of really weird ideas about, about spirituality and, and, and Jesus. And, and I think a common response you'll hear is, man, you know, don't, don't, come, don't come talk to me about your religion, right? So, so you know, the, the things we're never supposed to discuss is, I was told in the military the three things that are, that are off limits are religion, politics, and money. You're not supposed to talk about them, although they do, right? And I'm just assuming, you know, if you tell somebody don't talk about it, we're going to talk about it. So, um, so you know, man, don't, don't come in here with your, with your religious beliefs. Don't try to impose your beliefs on me. Just let me live my life. Here, here's the problem with, with that statement. The Bible is going to declare that you haven't really lived until you've met Jesus Christ. Yes. In fact, I have a couple of things here that, that, that back up what I'm saying. So John 10.10, 10, uh, Jesus said, if you looked at it a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I've come that they may have life. And have it in abundance. Or maybe your translation says have it to the full. So, so in Christ Jesus. See, see, I think a lot of people believe that, that God wants to stifle all our fun. And I talked about this last week. And then I, I showed this with the ladies on Thursday night as well. Um, you know, the, the old Bette Midler song, God's Watching Us at a Distance. Like, I never saw that as a comforting thing. I always saw that when I, when I heard that song and, and get that picture in my mind of, of God at a distance, like he's always wagging his finger at me. And he's always waiting for me to mess up. Like, don't you, don't you step left rather than right. I won't, I won't send lightning down there right now. Don't you make me come down there, right? Like that's, that's the image that, that that always brings up of God. And then somehow he's there to crush our joy. He's a cosmic Killjoy. And, and yet Jesus comes in and says, no, that's not it at all. Because the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I've come that you may have life. 
And not these facades of what the world says real living really is, but no, 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 real life. A, a life of joyful abundance that you can't even imagine apart from Christ. And then I love Paul because Paul doesn't even mince words, right? Ephesians 2.1, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. I, just, I love that because he's so blunt about it. Apart from Christ Jesus, you're dead. Apart from Christ Jesus, there is not real life. Amen. So, so then, listen, the, the question comes up, and this is a valid one. Well, then, if that's the, if that's the case, why do, why do folks who never seem to want anything at all to do with God or Jesus or church or anything else, folks who would never give him a second thought, why on earth does their life sometimes look better than mine? Why, why do they get good things? When I, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm following after Christ, maybe my, maybe my bank account's not what it wants to be, maybe I'm stuck in a job that I absolutely can't stand with a boss who, who hates me and the feeling's mutual. And, and what do I, while, while my neighbor who could care less about Jesus is in a job they love, making money, what, why? How does that make any kind of sense? Here's... Here's the best response that I have to that, okay? Even, so even though the Bible would say they're dead and they're not even really alive as we understand eternal life. Every person who's ever lived, even the most wicked sinner, is still made in the image of God. And God sent Christ Jesus to die for them. That person is still made in the image of God, loved by God. And secondly, and this, this applies to all of us as well, our God is more gracious to all of us than we could possibly ever deserve. And, and this is what the Bible says about this, right? So, I mean, th this is not a new question. This is an age-old question. Why do, why do bad things happen to good people and, or, or, and, and good things happen to bad people? Part of that, I would say, there are no good people. None is righteous, no, not one. So I mean, that kind of eliminates that whole question, right? So, so the good question would be, why do good things happen to bad people? And, and, and I need to, like, when I look at my life too, why does this happen to me? But this is what the Bible says about that. This, this is what Jesus said. It says, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Man, aren't you glad? Like, like if, so if this says, you know, God only sends his rain on the righteous, like, wouldn't you be worried when it's not raining at your house? Like, like wouldn't that cause you to stop and go, wait a second. What, what, what's, what's wrong here? No. God, these are, these are the general blessings of God that he extends out to all of humanity. And, and then James 1.17 simply says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting Shadows, And so listen, this is an, I would say this is an evangelistic tool. I, I hope that, I hope that the wicked people in your life prosper. Because that's an evangelistic tool for you to say, listen, God has blessed you in some amazing ways. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Do, do you see the way that God has blessed you?
And then John, in, in his letter, 1 John 5, 12, he'll make this very clear. We're going to walk through this book this fall, and we're going to focus on, so, so this summer we're talking about um, who Christ is, and, and his I am statements, who, who he is, and what he's done, and what we do with that. This fall in 1 John, then we're going to turn around, we're going to ask, okay, if this is who Christ is, then who are we? And how do we live in light of Christ? How do I find my identity in Christ Jesus if this is who he is? So we've talked about I am this, this summer, this fall. We're going to ask, who am I? First um, John 5.12, the, the one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Again, I love, I love it. It's, it's so clear. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have life. If you're not, you don't have life. Paul says if you're separated from Christ, you're dead. But Christ, who's rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And then John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son, his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So, so the bottom line is, is really this. As I said at the beginning, you have to make a decision about who Christ is. And see, oftentimes, and especially in our culture, people will just want Jesus to be this really good moral teacher and nothing more. Maybe, maybe like Thomas Jefferson, who went through his Bible and cut out all the miracles and all the supernatural things of Jesus so that he just had the teachings of Jesus. The problem with that is you can't separate Jesus' actions from Jesus' teachings. And this is the way C.S. Lewis put it. I think this is a fantastic quote. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, ultimately, we're left with a decision. You, you look at people who've led some, some religious cults in our day, some, some people who've made claims to be God or to be Jesus Christ returned in the flesh, and nobody looks at them and says, man, that, you know, he was a wacko, but he made some good points, right? Like, nobody's saying that about David Koresh or about Jim Jones. Well, he was off his rocker, but you know, he was a decent teacher. no. We, we look at them and we say, man, how crazy were they and how crazy were their followers? And so with Jesus, we've got to make a decision. Either he was a liar, meaning he willfully deceived people. He was a lunatic, meaning he really believed the things that he said, but he wasn't God. Or we fall down at his feet and declare, my Lord and my God. And so the simple question for you today, I have, I have three questions that are really the same question, but I'm a preacher, so I can't do things that simple. So I have, I have three questions. 
First of all, have you trusted in Jesus? The only way to God. Have you, have you trusted in him? That, believing there is no other way. Have you believed in Jesus? The only truth about God. Whether you choose to believe it or not doesn't change the truth. Have you believed the truth? And have you followed Jesus so that you may receive the life that only God can give? And if you answer no to, like I said, all three of those are really the same question. Are you, are you following after Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, apart from whom no one comes to the Father? If you would say no, then, then I would love to visit with you as soon as we begin to sing here in just a moment. I would ask you to just come down and I want to I pray with you and tell you how, to, how you can receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Have him come into your life and begin cleaning house and how you can follow him as, as a disciple of Christ. Secondly, though, if you would say, yes, I, I have trusted him. Yes, I have. Uh, I, I, be I believe he's the way. I believe he's the truth and I'm, I'm following him, trusting that he has life. My question to you is simply this. Are you living like it? Does your life look like you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as your people. I thank you for Jesus not leaving it, not leaving any wiggle room for us to argue about who he is and what he did, but he made it so clear. So I pray this morning we would simply trust and follow him as the way, the truth, and the life. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the grace to do that each and every day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.